as we um, get started, just want to greet everyone. For those who don't know me, my name's Ephraim. I'm one of the elders here, and it's a, a privilege to be sharing what is the final episode in our series called The Church. And um, this will probably be maybe the ninth, actually the twelfth, the twelfth session in our um, uh, closer look at the church. Previously, we went through large steps, just considering who are the church, what is the church, who are we to be, whose are the church, and we have now gone through a, a deeper dive where we've looked at the church's life, the church's compassion, the church's holiness, the church's boundaries, the church's meal, the church's praise, the church's unity, the church's maturity, the church's servants, the church's gifts, the church's future, and today, the church for eternity. Everybody wants to be part of something bigger than themselves. For some people, that's supporting a football team, and they recognize that as part of the supporters club, or even if they wouldn't consider themselves a supporter, they'd consider themselves a fan, there's something that they gain from recognizing um, the appreciation of others who are like-minded. For some, it's being joining the, the armed forces, whether it's Army, Navy, or Air Force. For others, it's simply joining a, a, a local social club or gaming community. People appreciate being a part of something bigger than themselves. And there is a level at which we're wired for that as humans, because we are wired for community. At, in the beginning, when God made the first person, he said it's not good that man should be alone. There was community as part of God's intention from the outset. So it's not a surprise that we would be people who would have the need for community. And yet, being in community always comes with its issues, right? I'm sure there are times when you'd wish everybody was just like you. If everybody was just like me, they liked the things I liked, thought the way I thought, moved how I moved, then you know what? It would be beautiful. It would be perfect. Although it wouldn't. Because just imagine if you caught yourself on an off day. <laughs> the reality is that because of the brokenness of the fall, there are times when we even find it hard to live with ourselves. And so even if we were cloned and multiplied, we would still have that challenge. And so is there ever hope of being in community in such a way that actually it will be perfectly harmonious, that it will be always wonderful, no problems, no stress, no wahala, no pasa pasa, no, 
No drama. Shout out to Mary J. Blige. <laughs> will, that, will that time ever come? And thankfully, we have the promise that it will in Christ Jesus. And so today, um, I've, I've got a feeling that these slides are going to be all over the place. Um, for some reason, the formatting hasn't translated. And so I'm hoping that there's going to be something that you can make sense of. Um, and yeah, forgive us. <laughs> We're going to be considering the end of the story. When the Lord makes all things new. When the Lord makes all things new. Let me pray. Um, we're going to be looking from, um, at sections of Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And so, due to the uh, extensive nature of that, I'll read when we arrive at those passages. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for the hope that you give us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which you work so faithfully and flawlessly to help us, to help us have an expression of life that we could never have by our own strength, our own ingenuity. Lord, we pray that you would cause us to become someone who not only loves you, but looks forward to loving your people forever, present with you always. And so speak to our hearts and fill us, instill us with your hope, we ask today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, you can't see there behind the text, but um, that's a picture of, of my grandmother who actually brought me up. So I grew up with my grandmother and um, I'm in the picture along with my stepbrother. And overlaid, you see certain phrases that my grandma was known for. And so there will be phrases like, you have meat, you must look fire. I'm not explaining any of them. <laughs> it's taken me a long time to actually work half of them out. And so, you know what, I'll leave you the pleasure of trying to work out what is my grandma actually saying in these phrases. You have meat, you must look fire. Or, you can tell she's from Jamaica, right? Oh, yeah. um, long cut, draw sweat. Short cut, draw blood. Mm, there's wisdom in these hills, <laughs> trust me. <laughs> but the one that lingers on my mind as we uh, approach our text today is a phrase that my grand would often say, it may be long, but it won't be forever. It may be long, but it won't be forever. And this predates the use of the term long as we understand it today among young people. Because everything's long. Ah, oh, will you go to the, go to the shop and, and get us some um, dinner because we won't have any if you don't? Ah, oh, that's long. <laughs> <laughs> It may be long, but it won't be forever. And we need 
to hear that. We need to know that. Because in all of the years of human history, we may have grown in understanding, but we have, we're no more moral. We are no more wise. We may be more technologically advanced than ever, but society is still as corrupt and problematic as it ever was, if not more. And so the, the Christian concept of paradise, the Christian concept of eternity is really quite unique. Among worldviews of history and uh, history in terms of not just the past, but also future history and what things will become, we see in Asian views, they, they have this sense of there being cycles and especially with a reincarnation type approach to life, life repeats itself. Even in some of their views, people repeat themselves. But there isn't a, a clear sense of judgment and there isn't a clear end to these cycles. In Persian views, they're very pessimistic. Declining ages towards judgment. Nothing's going to get better. It's not going to be all right. It's all just going to fall apart and dissolve. Greek views, they would have a view of different ages, Bronze Age, Iron Age, and this sense of seeking to attain to the, the, the golden age. You ever heard the, the phrase, the golden age? People will often say, you know, it's not like it was in my day. <laughs> As if their day was the golden age and everything needs to go back to how it was in their day. And yet their parents were saying the same and their grandparents were saying the same. And so when is the real golden age? When everything is wonderful. In modern views, we see that actually there's this sense that humanity is gradually and progressively improving through cycles of stress and progress, and you move and you move and you move, and, and things will just progressively get better until we create the paradise we desire. Now, I could pause there and say, are any of them inspiring? Do any of, any of them make us feel like, actually, it's really worth us investing our all in life and invest in our all in our kids and in our grandkids because we know that ultimately we're going to get there. There's no definite end with any of them. There's no guarantee with any of them. Christianity is the only belief that guarantees that there is an expected end that is wonderful. And that's because what the Bible presents to us is the the consummation, the completing, if you like, of the kingdom that belongs to the king, who is Jesus. And so we can not only have that hope, but have that certainty, because it's not just an idea, it's based on a person, Jesus, who has been revealed. And having been revealed, he has promised to fulfill his mission.
And so we have that, com- that, that certainty, that confidence, that actually everything will be all right in the end for those who are in Christ. And we can't leave out the qualifier. We can't leave out the, the back end of that phrase. Everything is going to be all right for those who are in Jesus. Guaranteed. And we are assured of this. Why? Because actually Jesus went through the worst of human experiences. He was tortured to death. And yet he rose from the dead, as we're going to celebrate in a couple of weeks' time. He rose from the dead after three days, conquering death, conquering the grave, giving that guarantee. My word is true. And so to that end, we're able to look forward to when Jesus comes. And we're able to look forward to the fact that actually we will be able to experience a certain end. And despite the fact it may be long, it won't be forever. Hebrews 10, 35 to 37 says this. Hebrews 10, 35 to 37. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. It's a bit like when I was at home doing homework with the girls and their homework was baffling me. Their homework was baffling me. I'm sure this must have been year six. <laughs> and I'm like, if, if something don't happen here, these children are without hope. <laughs> and for some things, yes, I'd be able to I'd direct them towards their mum because she'd have a, a much better view um, And for other things, it was like, you know what? The idea of seeing if we can get a tutor to help is an absolute solid one right now. And in those moments when I endured, literally, trying to do some of these maths homeworks. Now, it wasn't actually year six. It was definitely um, year seven or eight because it was equations. I was never any good at equations. Quadratic equations and all these, listen, I was like, you know what? The tutor's coming. (laughs) I pray he doesn't delay. And he did come, and he did help, and the rest is history, as they say. And so to that end, we're able to look forward to the coming, not just of a better situation, but we look forward to to the the coming of the king. And as his people, if you are counted among his people, you know that as the king returns, everything will be set right. And all of our relationships 
will be established with great joy and harmony. Now, this isn't a strange idea to us. Sometimes you come across certain things um, in life and you think this is a bit of a weird concept. Sometimes even in the scriptures, there are certain things that we might wrestle with and be like, mm, it takes, it's going to take me a minute to get my head around this. But this notion deep down intuitively within us is not a strange concept. And there's a reason why. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we see this verse. He being God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into men's hearts. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And so basically, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, God has given us an internal clock, for want of a better word. And this internal clock is an eternal one. It's one that causes us to yearn for more than the natural than we, that we have here. It causes us to desire the things that actually we don't find ultimate fulfillment in here. And that desire causes us to seek, to look, to search. And in all of our searching and in all of our looking, it says that we're not going to be able to figure out the answer to this yearning, this eternal desire that's within us. From the end to the beginning, we'll search it out and we won't get an answer. Because we can never find the answer by ourselves. God has to give it to us. God has to reveal it to us. The writer of Ecclesiastes is writing as someone who is just looking at life from a purely human perspective. We went through um, Ecclesiastes a few years ago and it was, it was amazing to just walk through this, this book of the Bible. It's, it's so poetic and yet it's so real. And we can relate to that. We can relate to the fact that there are so many things in life that we look to for satisfaction and don't find ultimate satisfaction. Whether it's relationships, work, money, respect, and the list goes on and on and on and on. C.S. Lewis was a great um, scholar and um, theologian, and he said this. It's one of my favorite quotes of his. If I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude I was made for another world. If I find in myself desires that nothing don't satisfy, I can only conclude that I was made for another world. And you see, the thing is, we become self-destructive when we make basic things ultimate things. We try and make our, our marriage ultimate. We try and see that, that our love for our children as being the ultimate thing in life. And, and on both fronts, we get let down. We try and make our success ultimate. 
We make our pleasure ultimate, our security and having lots of money ultimate. Recently, uh, I went away with work. I, um, I work at London City Mission, and I'm part of the leadership team there. And we went away for an a annual leadership away day. It was like one night away. And we stayed in, in a, a hotel in Surrey. Some of you will know it, De Vere um, in Horsley. I think we had something there before. Marriage, marriage conference, yeah. And um, it's really beautiful surroundings, and there's a stately home adjoining the hotel and a lake, and it's, it looks amazing. And at one point, we went for a walk, and as we were walking, we were walking the perimeter of private land. And there was one piece that we came to, and they had, it was, a, it was private land, they had a lake bigger than the lake at the hotel. This is private land. And when you see the properties and the houses on this private land, you're like, wow, wow, wow. People live like this? <laughs> just wake up in the morning, stretch on the veranda, look out over the lake. Mm, I might just go for a little row this morning. A little sail. The lake was that big. And interestingly, I was, I was walking with our um, director of, of fundraising, and she began to explain how she um, has experience interacting with people who are living in places like this. And she said, you know what? Most of them, if not the majority of them, are not happy. And all I could think of was Biggie Smalls in my ears. <laughs> more money, more problems. <laughs> Prophet Biggie was speaking to me. <laughs> more money, more problems. And you'd think by the time you got to that level of wealth, things would come a lot more simple in life. Things would become a, a lot more straightforward. But just the headache of security alone, securing your goods, securing your accounts, securing your ID, uh, your, your, your online identity and just that alone is enough to give headaches. And so we look forward to, we yearn for this time when we won't need passwords <laughs> to our computers and our accounts and having to re reinstall our computers because we've forgotten the passwords and all of the drama and the we won't need any of that. There'll be no more theft. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more insecurity. There'll be no more angst. Amen indeed. So, um, three steps. In Revelation, we see the fact that God promises a new heaven and a new earth. He promises a new Jerusalem and requires a response. A new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem and a response. In verses 1 to 8, new heaven and a new earth. Let's look at that if we can. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven 
and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The Bible starts with a wedding. Adam and Eve, as I said, God said, it's not good that man should be alone. Not that he was lonely. That's not what the Lord said. He said alone. And the Lord took from his side the rib and he made Eve. And Eve became a partner in God's purpose with Adam. And Adam looked at her and said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, you shall be called woman, for you were taken from me. And so in that, we recognize it starts with a wedding, but as we look at the text, we see that actually there's a, a wedding at the end of the story. Right here in these last chapters, we see a new heaven and a new earth, the holy city in the new Jerusalem coming down from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband or, or dressed and decked out for her husband. Thankfully, there's no bridezilla in this picture. We see a willing and glorious bride being prepared for her covenant companion, who is Jesus. And to this end, we recognize that God's intent from the beginning was that his people would live in harmony, not just with one another, but more importantly, with him. We see the whole of the cosmos being renewed, a new heaven and a new earth. And so there's a way in which God is the ultimate recycler, 
The Lord is going to recycle, refresh, and renew all that we know. And necessarily so. I mean, there's been floods in Brazil. The amount of natural tragedies that have been occurring over these last few months alone, let alone throughout human history. The cause for all of that will be obliterated. No more natural disasters. No more viruses, not even out of labs. <laughs> no, there's going to be a complete renewal of the environment. In one sense, you could say that God is an environmentalist. And he cares so much about the environment that he's going to renew it. And yet more so, we see God's people represented as the new Jerusalem and pictured as a bride. And so this holy community, the community that God has been gathering over the ages, comes into stunning view. And why, in verse 3, we see it's because, actually, God has intended for man to live with him. Imagine, no more need for faith. Children say, but mom, dad, how do we know that God's really there? And the apologetic says, the apologetic parent, or the, the parent versed in apologetic says, well, God has revealed himself ultimately in Christ, who came, he was born of a virgin, and he lived among us, and he performed signs and wonders, and he spoke the truth from heaven, and then he was killed tragically, and yet victoriously he rose after three days, and he is the ultimate reason that we know that God exists. And all of the prophets before him predicted his coming and spoke of what he would be like, and we know that God, but then where is Jesus now? Oh, he's in heaven with the Father. Why? Because <laughs> you know that's going to come in somewhere, right? Why? Why isn't he here? Well, he will be one day. Maybe even in our own lifetimes. But until then, we trust him by faith. It's like someone who's gone off to a, a, a far distant land and, and we communicate through writing, and he speaks to us through his word and, and by his spirit, and we're able to pray in response to his word and walk in his word, and that's how our relationship works. But it's one of faith. And how wonderful it is to say one day we won't need faith because faith will be fulfilled. We will be present with God. And we don't understand or appreciate actually what that means. Even as the, the uh, uh, Apostle John is writing the book of Revelation, he's writing it in a way where actually he's trying to express the inexpressible. He's trying to put into human terms otherworldly experiences and visions. bit of a C.S. Lewis day today. Quote from C.S. Lewis. 
on the nature of the, the text in the book of Revelation. All the scriptural imagery, harps, crowns, gold, etc., is of course a merely symbolical attempt to express the inexpressible. People who take these symbols literally might as well think that when Christ told us to be like doves, he meant that we were to lay eggs. And so, even as we begin to look at the revelation, it's like, actually, is the people a city or a bride? And how can they be either of those things? And so, the Apostle John is using symbolic language. But one thing that's very clear is that, actually, we are going to be with the Lord. And there is a way in which that will satisfy us, satisfy every desire. We will experience complete fulfillment, that longing for love, for belonging, for safety, for security, for provision, that need for joy and happiness. Most people say in life, the one thing that they want most is just to be happy. All of that will be fulfilled in an overwhelmingly abundant way because we are with God. God is good. He is the definition, the source of all goodness. God is love, the definition and source of all true love. And apart from him, there isn't any. What will it be like? Verse 4, there'll be no sorrow or suffering. No more funerals. Church family, we've got two funerals this week. And we continue in prayer for the families as they grieve. And yet we're grateful that even now, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Because... We know that this spoke, there'll be no sorrow or suffering. And how is this achieved? Who's done this? It's God's faithful will and good pleasure in verses 5 and 6. And yet it is only for his people, the saints. And so what a wonder it is to know that without having to pay a mortgage to try and obtain a ticket without having to um, go through a, 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 what's that? There's this really popular, um, like a salt course type um, trial that people put tough, tough mudder. And, huh? Mud plugger. Tough mudder, it's tough mudder. And when you see people go through this, it's like any of you used to watch Krypton Factor. And they have the assault course. And, and this, this assault course is times 20 of the Krypton Factor from back in the day, showing my age. And you get, and the, the mud in the name is literal. It's not like metaphorical. They're not trying to be cute. They get filthy. 
Imagine if someone said, you know, you had to train your whole life to win the tough mother in order to get to heaven and be with the Lord. I know for me that would just count me out. I'd just be like, you know what, that's long. And I might even have a goal, but with this frame, I'm not winning. I might just get to the end, but I'm not winning. And yet we recognize that the promise we have of eternal life is given because Jesus went through the toughest of trials and conquered and overcame and bestowed on those who would trust him that privilege and that joy. Let me read some more. Then came one of the seven angels. This is chapter 21 from verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and on the east, three gates, and on the north, three gates, and on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and its walls. The city lies four square and its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first jasper, second sapphire, third agate, the fourth emerald, fifth onyx, sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, ninth topaz, the tenth Chrysoprase, the 11th, Jacinth, the 12th, Amethyst. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And so we see this, this vision is like, more grand than any Hatton Garden jewelers. And yet it doesn't seem to add up because in verse 9, the angel says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And then John goes on to say that he saw a building, a structure, and and precious jewel stones as walls and streets of gold and gates of pearls. And here we see a very similar 
and common um, motif through the book of Revelation. The angel will say one thing and John will see another thing. And this is a way in which the Lord is showing to us the fulfillment of promise. And so what he's seeing is a metaphoric description, the way he's described it. And yet, it relates to that which has been spoken of previously throughout the Old Testament. The angel says that he will show the wife of the lamb. And, and throughout history, Israel were known as God's wife, but they were the unfaithful wife. You never see Israel referred to as the bride of God, always the wife of God. And yet we see here the angel saying, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And this sentiment expresses the unifying of the faithful of old with those who are the faithful of new. And then we see this physical building described. And yet, is it a physical building? It's the new Jerusalem. It's the people of God. And then we think back to 1 Peter when he said that you are living stones. And again, we see a fulfillment of God's promise and intention. And so from this, we recognize that actually God's people are regarded as valuable and precious in his sight, each one having a key place and being a different expression of value before the Lord. The bride is the city, and yet the city is solid, splendid, and equitable. You notice that all of the measurements were equal. There wasn't one part that was bigger than the other. The height was just the same as the width, as it was the length. Everything was completely equal, because there will be complete and utter equality in the kingdom of God. For all of the social justice issues that we wrestle with today, they will all be done away with. There will be no more striving for equality. Not even in the kitchen over who gets <laughs> the biggest portion. Complete and utter equality. Complete stability. And awesome splendor. We see that the city has no light but God. No temple but God. Looking at verses 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light, will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations 
but nothing unclean will ever enter in, enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's no need for a temple because the Lord is the temple and the light by which the city has its brightness. There will be no more need for street lights, being afraid of the dark, because that light is a permanent, a permanent light that casts no shadows. Such is the goodness of God. This city has every provision that could ever be needed or even wanted. Chapter 22, 1 to 5, my last section. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will, no need, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yes, my sister. There's a river garden at the heart of the city, that flows with the water of life. Remember Jesus at the well with the woman who had been from relationship to relationship and still hadn't even arrived at the ultimate relationship. And he said, if you ask me, I'd give you the water of life. This is the promise fulfilled. Ultimately, the, the, the most, you know, I just came back from um, going to Asia for the first time. I had the blessing of going to South Korea. When I tell you, I mean, I heard about Southern hospitality. And when I was in South Korea, I think that they took that to a whole other level. The food, as you can see, I enjoyed it just a little too much. And the thing is, it wasn't just lots of food or some food that was very good. It wasn't just large quantities of one type of food. It felt like there was every type of food in each sitting. Mmm, indeed. <laughs> and yet what we will be satisfied with in heaven will be so much greater And now you might think to yourself, you know, the descriptions so far don't really sound that, I mean, it sounds nice and that, but it doesn't make me feel like I just can't wait to get there. And that shows just how much we have been polluted by the enticements and temptations of life. 
Because the real appeal is God himself. He's the real appeal. Being present with the Lord. Everything else is a bonus. If we have him, we have all we need. All we could ever want. And so the challenge for us is to seek his face. The challenge for us is to know him more deeply that we might love him more fully. I would suggest that probably most of us as adults have had the experience of losing a loved one. And in that moment, I'm sure that if somebody had offered you a choice between all the riches in the world or having your loved one back, you're like, you know what, I'll take having my loved one back. All of the riches you can offer me is not going to take the place of this dearly loved person. I'll make, I'll make it okay in life, especially knowing if I'm with them. Now you amplify that feeling as it relates to God. All of the greatest experiences you could imagine on offer on one hand or being with God on the other. You see, the eternal kingdom is the presence. It's the presence of God with his people. And everything that we experience in life, I remember one time we was at, um, we, had, we used to have community groups and we had one in Brixton. And I remember this day, I, I can't even remember what we were, the, the text we were talking about, but we, we started to talk about the expectation of the heavenly kingdom. And I remember us just chewing over this reality. Everything that we delight in in life is merely a replica or a token of what is to come. Our, our desire and enjoyment of good food or rest or entertainment or delight, all of those things are merely faint echoes that point back to the source that is God. Think back to the quote, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, I can only conclude I was made for another world. And imagine every single one of your deepest desires being absolutely fulfilled, absolutely satisfied, in abundance till it's overwhelming. This is the promise of being with God. We shall be with him. We shall see him. We shall be known by him. It's not just that, you know, I look at the Lord over there. Oh, wonderful. But he doesn't know my name. Talks to the apostle Paul. He talks to Moses. He talks to Abraham. Yeah. Maybe he might one day talk to me. No. The Lord will call you by name and rejoice in your company to be with you. 
we shall be saved and free to glorify God in worship. We shall not want for anything or any, and notice I said want, because often in church, you know, we try and manage people's expectations in life. My God shall supply all your what? Needs. Not your wants, not your greeds, but your needs. And that's the reality until we get to heaven. And then everything we could ever want will wash over us. <laughs> Praise be to God. We shall be overwhelmed with satisfaction and delight always and forever. Amen indeed. Now, there is a note of caution. And we heard it in the beginning because this is not for everyone it's not for everyone in some ways heaven is a bit like marmite you either love it or you hate it you see those people who have no desire to be with God no desire to be like God no, no interest in God and would have absolutely no care to go and be in his presence will get what they want. Verse 8, towards the bottom here. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. This is just as much a certain promise as it is heaven. Because core to our central view as Christians, core to the message of Scripture is that there is a judgment that is to come. And it's not that you have to live your best life now and be the best person you can be in order to avoid it. Because none of us can do that. But actually, Jesus lived the best life that anyone could live. On our behalf. I say to young people in schools, and it's quite pertinent as we're coming to exam time, it's a, it's a bit like you're facing your most challenging exam you know that actually this is going to be a tough one. And if you pass, you've done well. You're definitely not expecting to ace it. All of your mocks are suggesting that, hmm, you better have revised hard. And yet on the day of the exam, you feel completely uncertain and insecure because you've not, your revision has been atrocious. You've not been able to focus. There's been all kinds of emergency things that have drawn you away. I think we can relate. You sit the exam. And as you go to sit the exam, you're just so focused on the questions, you don't even write your name on the top of the paper. You're like, I'll come back to that. I'll do that afterwards. You look through the paper, and you feel like there's maybe one or two questions out of the eight that you can answer. You're certain that you flop this. It's a complete failure. 
You look over to your right and you see Jesus fluttering pages. And as the exam finishes, he leans over, he writes his name on your paper, and you think to yourself, what's he doing? You look over at his paper as you're leaving the hall. You see your name on the top of his paper. You walk out to A star, and yet he takes the fail. That's what the Lord has done. The Lord has lived the perfect life, met the standards of God, and yet through the divine transaction, the divine interaction, he took our place in accepting our failures and our sin in order that we might, through faith in him, be credited with his righteousness, with his goodness, And so no one, no one needs to fear judgment. Because in taking our failings, the Father judged Jesus as if he were judging you or me. And all you need do is put your trust in him and glory awaits you. Amen? Um. As we conclude, uh, I'm going to ask um, Rob if he'd come and help me. <clears throat> the psalmist said, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Praise be to God. And yet the Apostle John said, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he, the Lord, is pure. And so in our expectation, may we live as those who expect better to come. May we live even in a way that would be preparing and readying ourselves for that greater time that is to come. As we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to change us, to renew us, to make us more like Jesus, knowing at that time, that process will be completed. We keep pressing on, we keep growing through the process known as sanctification. God's transform, transforming work in our lives. And yet, ultimately, there will be no more need for sanctification when we get to heaven. Because every one of our flaws and weaknesses will, be, will disappear. All the internal wrestling, lack of discipline, Depression, anxiety, all gone, will be complete. Amen? Um, so Rob and I have um, a history of doing music together, and we've done a song that kind of speaks to this.
and it's called Glorified. Um, let me see if I can start this video and if it will play for a start, first of all. Try and look great. We gain weight, we lose weight. Spiritually, we face the same fate as we wait for a new state at the gate. Hebrews 12 1. When the race is done, the race is won. We'll shake last weights and begin the fun. Those who overcome will be overcome with emotion of all that the Lord has done. But first comes the change. The first thing to change will be more than our name. The Lord's got already a place, a place not defined by time or space. It's a new shape. Nah, not maintained in the gym, but exercised as we worship him. It begins with a grim as he welcomes us in and rewards us unworthy for living for him. Yes. We're gonna be changed. 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 Lord Jesus, yeah, I'm keeping my eyes on you because you're the only one who could ever pull me through. Your spirit's homing in. Look at the hole I'm in. Lord, deliver my soul from sin. You got me on the run, exposed and undone. It seems like you're spoiling my fun, but I'll be grateful and abandon my care. You made me an heir. Lord, that's not a random affair. Nah, I know you're coming is near. Those who tremble and fear, Lord, you won't believe in them here. Uh-uh, nah. The lesson is clear, it will lessen the fear when I see your presence appear. Come on, forgiveness came, cause the lamb was slain, and every single man's the same. We need the man to reign, his name is Christ, his veins were slashed, evidently paying the price. Yeah. We're gonna be changed. Clap your hands at least. We're gonna be changed. 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 We're gonna be changed when the church is glorified. He looks in our eyes, takes the hand of his bride, and leads us as he takes us aside. The mystery once hidden inside, birthed in the blood once shed from his side. A caterpillar metamorphed to a cute butterfly, changed in the twink of an eye. I'm so glad for the night that he accepted my life when I was joined to the body of Christ. Now my smell is Christ, and my name is Christ. I'm built up into the frame of Christ. Knew and predestined the laws to be conformed unto the image of Christ. Those predestined are those he called and justified. That's why the bridegroom died. And having been justified, the only thing that is left is to be glorified. Yes, we're gonna be changed. We're gonna be changed. 
We're gonna be changed. You can sing along. We're gonna be changed. We're gonna be changed. We're gonna be changed. We're gonna be changed. When the church is glorified, we're gonna be changed. No more death. We're gonna be changed. No more funerals. We're gonna be changed. No more suffering. We're gonna be changed. We're gonna be changed. No more thieving. We're gonna be changed. No more heartache. We're gonna be Listen. changed. When the church is glorified. Praise be to God that we're able to look forward to that day when we will be changed and made anew in the image of God. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Invite the um, invite the ladies to come up. Here. I'm gonna invite the ladies to come up. Lord, we thank you so much for that wonderful joy that we're able to have, that we anticipate in your presence, Lord, that complete renewal of all things. Lord, you said you will make all things new. Lord, I thank you because that promise is certain. You've given a cast iron guarantee we're going to be changed. You have newness for us, Lord. And we're grateful to you. And Lord, we ask that you would um, fill our hearts with that anticipation. Fill our hearts with that expectation. May it motivate us, even in the hardest of times, Lord. Even through the toughest of scenarios. And Lord, I, I pray that each one of us would make it to that day by your grace and mercy, that we would be able to enjoy eternity together, one another with you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.